Pricing is often very underestimated in the world of entrepreneurship. Contrary to popular belief, pricing is so much more than just coming up with a random number and slapping it on your product or service and calling it a day. Pricing is a powerful tool and I've come to learn that pricing really is an art. Courtney Deegan is a pricing expert who helps female entrepreneurs price confidently and profitably. She has a background in marketing and sales, has studied psychology and accounting at university, and is mentored by one of the world's most renowned pricing experts, Mark Stiving. I had the privilege of interviewing Courtney all about the world of pricing, and Courtney shares some really amazing tips when it comes to pricing for smaller business owners and newer business owners. She shares some common mistakes that a lot of small business owners make and shares so much wisdom that is going to completely transform the way you view your pricing in your business. It is such a good conversation, guys, and I'm so excited to dive in. Hey, welcome to the Imperfect Pursuit Podcast. My name is Sarah Luthi, and I love all things marketing, money, mindset, and helping creative entrepreneurs pursue their purpose. Nothing in life or business is perfect, but I believe in the power of taking imperfect action and showing up with grace, authenticity, and intentionality. So if you're ready to imperfectly pursue your biggest goals and build a life and business you love, there is a place for you here. Hey, Courtney, welcome to the show. Thanks so much, Sarah, for having me. Oh, I'm really excited to interview you. You are such an amazing person with so much knowledge about pricing. I know that you have um, taught me so much and really helped me to rethink what pricing really means. So I'm really excited to share your knowledge with our listeners. Oh, that, that really means a lot to hear you say that, Sarah. Thank you. <laughs> okay. Well, I guess to kick us off, do you want to just briefly share a little bit about your story, how you got started with business and I guess what you are doing now? Yeah, absolutely. So my background is in sales and marketing professionally. And when it came to time to start a business, I had studied psychology and accounting. And so it kind of made sense at that point in time to start a bookkeeping business. I was always interested in businesses and I was particularly motivated and passionate about helping women have better businesses and be more mm. be more confident, be more knowledgeable. And so in starting the bookkeeping business, I, you know, I wanted to find a niche because everyone says, you know, you need to find a niche, uh, you know, and um, you know, be really targeted in how you set up your business. What I did instead of picking an industry, which is what most bookkeepers do, I wanted to focus on a business problem. And so what I did, I was one of those lurkers in those business groups that you see online on Facebook and LinkedIn. <laughs> and you know, I hung around and I wanted to look and see what the biggest business problems were. And pricing was one that came up quite a lot. Mm -hmm. And after looking into it a little bit, I realized that there weren't that many people focus purely on pricing. And so I decided to make that my niche, but little did I know at the time, and this is something that I discovered over time as I did more research and I learned more about pricing, it is actually a field in and of itself. Eventually, because of how specific it was and, and how new it was as well, everyone eventually came to know me as the pricing lady. You know, people yeah. wouldn't come to me for bookkeeping anymore. They came to me for pricing. And so several months in, I actually rebranded and decided, you know, I'm not going to do bookkeeping anymore. I'm just going to be, you know, focus on pricing. And mm -hmm. I decided to, you know, become a pricing expert. And so from there, you know, I got my membership with the Professional Pricing Society, which is an, an international uh, pricing organization. Um, you know, I'm being mentored by, you know, one of the best 
pricing experts in the world. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, so there's there's been a lot of big changes there in terms of how I started and, and where I am now. In terms of what I do now, I focus a lot on helping uh, female entrepreneurs who are in their first five years or so of business. They're usually under, um, you know, 500 to a million uh, revenue. Mm-hmm. So 500k to a million revenue, sorry. Um, and so that's that's where I primarily work. I do also work with some small and medium sized businesses as well who are larger than that. Uh, but that's yeah. primarily where I am because, as I said, you know, I, I really like helping women at the start of their business. You know, to mm-hmm. know what they need to know, have the skills that they need to actually set up their business for long term success. Mm, wow. So much goodness there. <laughs> I did just want to sit on something which I mm. didn't send to you. But I would love to talk about that pivot from bookkeeping into, you know, really niching down to pricing. How did you find that? Because I know a lot of women, I guess myself included, have done a little bit of a pivot Mm. and feel terrifying. What was that experience like for you? Oh, it was was still terrifying. It was absolutely terrifying. I think, um, you know, a lot of people, it's easy to put out that a bit of a facade on social media. You know, everyone sees the highlight reel and, you know, everyone would sort of say to me like, oh, that was such a good decision. You know, wow, that's so great. You know, blah, blah, blah. But on the inside, I was really nervous. I didn't know how it was going to go. You know, before you make any big decision like that, you have no idea what impact it's going to have. You know, it means that you are potentially speaking to a new audience. You are now having to develop completely new products and services. And because pricing is a very new field, there wasn't a lot for me to go on, right? There aren't that many other people who are also independent, you know, pricing experts or pricing consultants out there. Mm. There are some, definitely, don't get me wrong, but there aren't that many, especially who are working with entrepreneurs. Most pricing Mm. experts work with very, very large, you know, multinational corporations. And so this was not only completely new to me, but it's a new field in general. And so that made it extra daunting. But I, you know, I actually worked with a business coach at the time, uh, Kylie Hancock, who was a fabulous business coach. And she helped me to realize that pricing was something that really suited my strengths. It was something that I was mm-hmm. very, very good at. I was good at bookkeeping, but it didn't really give me anywhere near as much joy as pricing gave me because when you help someone with something like pricing, you see both an immediate and a long-term result. Immediately Mm. you see things like their confidence change. You know, they, they start to tear away at the self-doubt that they have about themselves. They start to feel more confident in the value that they provide. They feel more confident and comfortable talking about their prices. And then long-term, you know, with the clients I get to work with long-term, I get to see the impact on their financial statements. I get to see them make more money, be more profitable. You know, they're far less stressed with, you know, life and money and things like that. And so that made it completely worth it. And, you know, by working through that with a business coach, you helped me realize that this is a good decision for all of these reasons, even though you don't know what's going to happen next, you've Mm. got a fairly good idea based on the fact that, you know, how it feels to you at the time. Yeah. Yeah. That's really cool. I guess, I mean, it it definitely would have felt daunting coming into a, a space where there wasn't a lot of competition and there wasn't really anyone to kind of be inspired by in a sense, but in another sense, I can imagine that also would have felt a little bit liberating, kind of knowing I'm entering into a new sphere, like I really have space and an opportunity to do something powerful here and something really new and exciting. And I think you entered that industry at a really good time and it was, yeah, it was really cool to see you navigate that. Yeah, no, it was, it was a really interesting journey and, and you're right. Like having, having very little competition has pros and cons, you know, the obvious pro Mm. being that you don't really need to worry about 
you know, your competitors copying you and, and or, yeah. you know, your customers having to choose between yourself and several other people. But at the same time, there's also the downside of, you know, I don't really have anyone similar to me who I can go and talk to and bounce ideas off. I don't really have anyone similar who I can collaborate with. You know, I've got cognate mm. industries like coaching and things like that, mm. but I don't have any other, like there are no other pricing experts that I know of who are kind of, you know, my my demographic, I'll say, uh, who yeah. are serving the same people. There's one other person I know of who's um, sort of exploring that area and I'm encouraging her to, to come out. And, and I, I actually said to her, I was like, please, please come and be my competition. I really need mm-hmm. someone else <laughs> in this space. It's, it's kind of, it was a nice novelty at first, but now it's gotten to the point where I'm like, I actually would really like some competition because yeah, that is also a massive driver for innovation, right? That's mm-hmm. going to push me to be better. It's going to push me to, you know, create more value and um and be even more diligent and on the ball Mm. and the thing about pricing is that people don't really understand how comprehensive it is you know it's not just about slapping a random number Mm. onto your product it's so much more than that and I think I mean this is why I'm excited to have this conversation Mm. I guess to to bring that to light and to shed some light on that on the concept of pricing, what that really means. And I can imagine that must be a little bit of a challenge in your industry as I guess, helping people to diagnose the problem and people may not understand that pricing is so important. They may not understand that there may even be a problem with their pricing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, it's um, it's definitely a process. You know, I, yeah. I often say to people pricing is a process and it starts from you know the moment that you're that you're starting your business but even from the moment that you're starting to develop a product right you want to think about which market segment are we targeting you know what's their willing pay how are we going to you know structure this how does this product fit in with the rest of the other products in our portfolio there's so many things mm. to think about um and i can't tell you how many times i'll get an email or a phone call from a company who say hey we're a startup we've developed this product we've done all the marketing plans for it we've done all these things we just need to put a price on it and it's launching next week and <laughs> And it's just uh, my heart sinks and I'm like, oh, I wish you came to me like three months ago or six months yeah. ago because that's that's when I could have really done like the most good. Because like you mm-hmm. said before, pricing is not just putting a price on something and doing something like that is the equivalent of going to a doctor and you have this rash on your arm and you're like, I have this rash. Is it good or bad? You know, the doctor can't just give you an answer straight away. They have to ask you a bunch of questions. They might have to order some tests. Like it's a process and it takes time. Figuring out the best price for your product, if you want it to be a profitable product, takes time. You know, there's questions Mm. you need to ask. There are, you know, some testing that you need to do uh, and, you know, and all of those different things. So, yeah, it's, it's definitely something I come across and that's why education is a really big part of what I do. Well, I think a question that um, a lot of people would have would, you know, I would love to know, and I'm sure other people would love to know, what are the most common pricing mistakes that you, you come across when you are talking with other, with other entrepreneurs, um, particularly, you know, your micro and small businesses or even your businesses? Mm-hmm. What are some of the most common pricing mistakes that people seem to make? Yeah. So, I, I mean, I could talk to you all day about like really common <laughs> yeah. pricing mistakes. We, mm. we all make them, you know, myself mm. included, because pricing is not just a science. It's very much an art. In fact, it's mm. far more an art than it is science so probably the most common things I see you know number one is just not giving it a lot of thought and just winging it right just mm-hmm. pulling a number out of the air and there's there's nothing you know inherently wrong about this except that it just might mean that you're leaving money on the table 
right? So like, Mm -hmm. let's say you have a product, you have a particular widget and you say, okay, well, I feel like it should be priced at around $50. But then Mm -hmm. let's say that your target market's willingness to pay is actually $100. That means that every time you make a sale, you're actually losing 50, you're leaving $50 on the table, right? And so your business is missing out there. You've also got problems of, you know, if their willingness to pay is much higher, they might wonder why your product is priced so low. And so pulling a number out of the air, you know, yes, it's easy to do and yes, it, you know, gets the job done. Um, But at the same time, you know, it could mean that uh, you're less profitable than you could otherwise be. The two other main mistakes I see have to do with the two C's, which are costs and competitors. So sometimes people will say, you know, I've based my price, um, I've set my prices based on my competitors and how they price. The reason this can be problematic is that you don't know what your competitors' uh, business strategies are. You don't know what their plans are. They could be very, very different to you. They could have a different market segment. Um, You also don't know if they've made the right decision. Even if you think that your business is similar to theirs, if they've made a wrong decision with their pricing, if it's not going to be profitable, uh, if it's not you know, good for the longevity of the business, then you copying them or basing your prices on what they're doing could also be problematic for you. And so that's one of the reasons why, you know, and, and I'll come back to this in a minute, but the other one is costs, right? So setting your prices based on your costs. And there's, there's a yeah. lot of reasons why this can be, this can be uh, problematic for a business. The primary reason is that it ignores the fact that when it comes to your pricing, this is an external business decision, right? So this is something that has to do with your customers who are external to your business. Your costs are internal to your business. Your costs are really important for you to know and manage and be aware of in a business sense. But when it comes to your pricing, you know, your prices are something that your customers pay, you know, whereas your your costs are a part of operating your business and running your business. Your costs are also in the past, right? You only know that they're your costs because they are in the past. And if you price based on your costs, you're only pricing based on the business you had yesterday, not based on the business yeah. you're going to have tomorrow. You're, I've seen a lot of cases where I'll have someone come to me and ask for my help and they price based on their costs. And they've gotten to a point in their business where they really need to hire someone, but because they've been pricing based on their costs, which are in the past, you know, they can't, you know, they don't have any room in their income to hire someone. Mm, because temporary. Yeah, exactly. Because there's there's no room. There's just no room yeah. in their pricing for it. And so that's another thing I'll often say to people and encourage them to do is, you know, price based on the business that you want to have, price based on the value that you give, because that's that's also what your customers are doing. Your customers are paying a price based on the value that they perceive in what you're doing. They're not, Mm -hmm. your customers don't care about your costs. Uh, And so I like to try to keep those not so much separate, um, but separate from the different facets of your business. You know, certainly cost management is important. You want to know that your business is viable. um, But at the same time, you know, your prices are far more to do with your customers and their willingness to pay. So customer Mm -hmm. competitors and costs, I should say, are two railroads, when you're driving yeah. a car. So if you imagine yourself driving a car down the road, um, the, oh, what are they called? Rail guards. Yeah, guard I can picture rail. them. Guard rails. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I was like, what are they called again? Guard rails. Yeah. <laughs> and your competitors and your costs are the things, like I said, you want to be aware of them, right? You don't just want to ignore them. That's that's silly. That's not good. Mm. That's not a good business decision. But they should be guardrails, right? There should be things that, you know, when you're driving down the road, the thing you look at the most tends to be the thing that you veer towards, right? If you Mm -hmm. spend your time while you're driving, if you just look at one of the guardrails, you're going to eventually veer into one of them, right? The 
road underneath you when you're driving your business should be the perceived value from your customers and their willingness to pay. That should be the focus when it comes to pricing. You want to be aware. You want to have you know, your competitors and your costs as guardrails, things that you're aware of, but you're not making your decisions based on them, mm-hmm. right? So that's how you want it set up. Wow. I love that analogy. That's really helpful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really cool. Um, one thing I was going to ask, do you feel that people tend to price emotionally? Ooh, very much so, especially mm-hmm. if there are a lot of mindset issues at play. You know, I've, yeah. I've come across people who, because of the way they grew up and the kind of attitudes that they grew up with to do with money, they find it very difficult to price in yeah. a certain way. Um, so some people who grew up, say, you know, in a low socioeconomic situation, they feel like it's greedy of them to price so that they make a profit, right? And yeah. so there's still some challenges there. Um, and so being able to help people work through those is is really, really beneficial because it changes how they see not only themselves, but how they see their business and also how they see their customers as well. So when, you know, if you're in that situation where you feel like, I don't want to charge more because people will think I'm greedy or I feel like I'm a bad person if I charge more. The thing to think about is, A, you are not your customer. Yeah. And B, you have no idea what your customers, you know, you probably don't know what your customer's willingness to pay is. And mm-hmm. so until you do that research or do that testing with your pricing, you won't know. Um, it could be that if you raise your prices, your customers could actually be happier, you know, depending on their price sensitivity and and the value that they perceive in your product or service and things like that. Um, Mm. I've actually, you know, there is the law of supply and demand, which says that, you know, as prices goes up, demand goes down, but there's been a lot of cases in business where the opposite has been true. Um, I found this for my business. As I raise my prices, I actually Mm. get busier, um, which is an interesting phenomenon. It's It's a good problem to have, but it's, I like the fact that it demonstrates that, you know, raising your price doesn't necessarily mean that people are going to think you're bad. They could actually think that, oh my gosh, they're raising their price because they're more experienced, they're more credible, they have more mm-hmm. um, authority now, they have more content, uh, yeah. you know, they have more of an impact, they're getting better at what they do. That's what people generally assume, right? Yeah, and it's, so it's, it's that perceived value that you always talk about. <laughs> yep, yep, exactly, exactly. And yeah. so when you raise your prices, people just automatically assume, oh, they must be really good. Do you feel like people could make the mistake though, where they increase their pricing thinking this is going to get me more money or this is going to make me busier without doing, I guess, the hard work behind the scenes or or they do that prematurely? Is that another problem people run into? Um, I have never seen someone have that problem at the same time I don't want to encourage anyone to go and do (laughs) I don't want anyone to go away and be like oh I'm just going to double my prices now uh you know definitely you know you you want to find ways to test it especially if you're Mm. very very new and you're a very young business you want to um find ways to test it so one way that I generally recommend people do it is um and this is something you can only do if you don't have prices like up on your website is that for every subsequent uh customer raise your price by a little bit. Maybe it's like 5% or 10%. And don't, you know, they don't know that you're raising the price, but what you're doing over time is say that your, um, say that your conversion rate right now is like really high, like 70 or 80%. Okay. Mm-hmm. That's a really good indicator that your target market's willingness to pay is much higher 
yeah. than your prices, right? And so what I would do in that instance is let's say that you're charging, you know, I don't know, $1,000 for a product. Let's say for the next customer who comes along, you're going to charge 1100 And then the next customer might be, you know, either 1150 or 1200 And then you keep going up until your conversion rate hits about, you know, 40 or 50%. is a really nice place to be. That is the point. You know, if you get to a point where um, about half of everyone is saying yes, that is a really good indication that that's around about where your market's willingness to pay is. And then you can make a decision there based on whether you stay at that price, use something like product segmentation so that you can have slightly different products and variations of your products, like options and packages and things like that, so that you can be selling to multiple different types of people with different willingnesses to pay and things like that. So doing testing like that is a really helpful thing to do when you're Mm -hmm. trying to find out, you know, what your customer's willingness to pay is. Another really popular one too, Sarah, is surveys. You know, this is really easy. Mm-hmm. Asking them things like, what do you think other people would be willing to pay for this product? You know, don't ask them what you, they would be willing to pay. Ask them what do you think other people would be willing mm-hmm. to pay. Yeah. This is a really great way to get a more honest answer. Mm-hmm. Although the answers that people give to willingness to pay questions are often much more modest than what they actually yeah. would do. So always take it with a grain of salt. Um, but I always, always recommend asking those sorts of questions. It can be very nerve wracking for people um, and that's okay. But doing it is such an effective way of finding out where your pricing should be or finding out where it should be closer mm. to. Yeah, no, that's really good advice. I think people feel afraid to put surveys out there or maybe they're fearful no one's going to fill it out or they're fearful of the answers and the results and the data Um, but as we know you know data is really important if we're going to um, yeah create intentional businesses that are going to last I love that okay Um, one thing that you mentioned before you were talking about competitors and then you're talking about costs I wanted Mm -hmm. to sit on that for a second Um, I know a lot of listeners are in the creative fields maybe they do have I guess direct job costs relating to um, that sale or that job Mm -hmm. can you speak a little bit I would love to know your thoughts on that are there any industries where you think that method does or doesn't work I want to flesh this out a little bit (laughs) yeah no that's okay so in terms of do you mean cost plus pricing um yes so for example my second business my wedding floral business there are direct job costs relating to that Mm -hmm. sale or that job so obviously I'm not going to have like a flat fee I do full service weddings for $5,000 because the, you know, all the requirements might be different. Sure. So I don't know. I guess I would just love to know your thoughts on, um, on that kind of thing. Are there industries where you think formulas or markups based mm-hmm. on the job costs are appropriate? Sure. How would you kind of, yeah, navigate that? Yeah, the way my thinking on it is that things like cost plus pricing and markups and things like that make Mm -hmm. sense in really, really, really big companies with like hundreds or thousands of SKUs. And um, Mm -hmm. uh, an SKU, for anyone who doesn't know, is a stock keeping unit. So it's basically just different products that you have. So if you are Woolworths, for example, right, and you've got, you know, thousands of different products in there, you know, you've got tons of suppliers, Uh, you know, you've got so much going on that something like value-based pricing is just not doable, right? It's not really that feasible. There are different ways that you can implement it, but that's a, that's a whole nother conversation and a very, very interesting one as well. Um, And so, you know, apart from that, there is a lot of, and there's a lot of sense in looking at things like your variable costs, like you, like you mentioned, like job costs and using that in your pricing. Mm -hmm. I'm, 
I'm always, always wary of saying that to people though, because people do tend to over-focus on costs. So let's say, for example, that you were doing a a wedding and you were pricing for this wedding and you weren't sure what the costs were going to be. What, you know, if I was coaching you, what I would encourage you to do is to use your experience, you know, use your judgment to think about, okay, what might the variable costs be here? What mm-hmm. might the job costs be? And to make an estimate and to do your best to give a, a fixed certain price to the customer. This is for a few reasons. Number one, um, humans love certainty right? We really, really, really love certainty. We don't like things to be vague, especially when it comes to a buying decision. When a brain is, you know, in a buying situation, the brain is already on high alert and it doesn't take a lot to get it to say no, right? And vagueness is one sure way of getting someone to say no. If you give them certainty, you are also removing risk from them and you are taking on that risk. There's a really great quote that I love from Peter Drucker where he says that profit comes from risk. The more risk you take on and away from the customer, the more profit you have a right to earn. Mm -hmm. And so I like to encourage people to take as much risk as they can, you know, onto themselves away from their customer, because that is like one of the best ways to, you know, be more profitable, earn a more profitable price. Um, What I would say as well is, you know, because a lot of people might say, well, what happens if I run at a loss? Or what happens if I charge $5,000 and um, it costs me, you know, $4,800 in job costs or something like that? Yeah. And then I would say, well, now you've learned. Yeah. (laughs) Now you've learned and you over that mistake again. (laughs) Yep. Yep. You've learned. Now you know for next time. And it sounds harsh, but the reality is, is that you are going to have a uh, a far easier time selling things if you can give certain prices. You are going to be able to better know your customer's willingness to pay by you know testing your prices and charging your know, slightly different prices each time you're going to get a better reputation because you're removing risk from people they get a better customer experience they're more likely to refer you if you give a certain a certain price like a fixed price it also signals a lot of confidence which increases their perceived value and willingness to pay even more mm-hmm. right so there are a lot of benefits there and yes you know there is a risk in charging a fixed price because Uh, you know, you may find that you have a lot of job costs, or maybe it took you a lot more time than usual. But what I would say is, is that you will learn far faster in that kind of context than in a context where you're charging hourly, for example, because you'll learn really quickly how long things might take you and you'll price for that capacity, right? You'll Mm -hmm. price for the time it takes, you'll price for the mental energy that you're putting in, you'll price for, um, you know, anything else that's involved in you providing that service for them. Maybe it's a level of access to you, right? The other thing I would say in there as well is offer options that have different levels of risk, right? Maybe you do offer an option that has um, some access to you, maybe you have another option that has 24-7 access to you, you know, depending on your timetable and and schedule and things like that. (laughs) Um, you know, because when you offer options, you increase the chance of a buy by about 50%. Yeah, that's so interesting. Yeah, mm-hmm. I know. I, I love that statistic. So that's that's kind of how I would approach it. Um, that's how I do it myself. And, you know, if I get, you know, there's been like one or two times where I've had a job where it took me so much longer than I thought. And I tell you what, I learned so much from that. I learned about how effective and efficient I can be. Uh, you know, I learned, okay, next time, if I have a similar customer to this, I need to price this way, or I need to make sure I include this or be aware of this or that. And so Mm. you learn a lot very quickly when you, when you start pricing like that. 
Yeah, no, that's that's helpful. And I guess I just wanted to clarify when you say fixed pricing, you know, you're mm-hmm. referring to someone presenting a quote and saying this is the price. Yep. For example, um, you know, in an industry in an industry where job costs or the costs may fluctuate, you're kind of saying this is the price even if my costs increase. Yeah, absolutely. And Mm. I actually have a section in all of my proposals. I actually say that as well. I say the prices that I've quoted here are fixed. They won't change. Mm. It doesn't matter how much work I do or how many hours I do. Um, That's the price that you, that you pay. You know, if I, if I work more than I thought I would, that's on me, right? The way I see it is I'm the professional. Mm. It's my responsibility to know how long something is going to take me. If I go into something and I haven't priced properly for it or I haven't priced for uh, things like your capacity or other staff or my time, that's that's on me. Like I need to do better, okay? Like I, I take that responsibility. I don't want to put the risk onto my customer because I don't think it's fair and it is an mm. awful customer experience, um, you know, because if you're pricing hourly, that's not a price, that's a rate. They don't know what price they're going to get uh, and that that puts a lot of the risk on them, right, because yeah. they, don't, they don't know what they're going to end up paying. Yeah, no, absolutely. I know this isn't specifically pricing related but it mm-hmm. kind of is. <laughs> I would love to know um, with your proposals or anything, do you think there is um, – or would you put a, I guess, an expiry date on a proposal? For example, you've increased your pricing a few times over however long and say, you know, say you were in discussions with someone 12 months ago, that was your mm. price at the time. How would you navigate that conversation when it has been, you know, an extended period of time and they were of the expectation that the pricing was, you know, a lower yep. price point? Yep. So I would just put it in the proposal. So I actually have a note in all my proposals and I make it uh, about a month after the yeah. date that I send it to them, I say this proposal and the prices are valid, you know, for the next 30 days or I'll actually yeah. put a date on it. Yeah. Um, and that's that's how I do it because I think that, you know, over time you do get better at what you do. You get mm. busier as well. That makes you more valuable too. You know, mm. most businesses, if not all, earn the right to increase their prices over time. You know, if they're working hard and they're providing value, of course they should be, you know, charging Mm. more over time. Not all the time. You don't want to be raising your prices all the time. That's a bit excessive. Um, But that should, you know, your prices increasing should be a thing, you know, Mm. at least once a year. At least once a year is a really good, uh, you know, time range to do that. So, yeah, absolutely, I would put an expiry date on a proposal. Mm. Mm. One thing I see a lot of, um people do and I've done this before too and I would love to know your thoughts where you raise a price um and maybe it doesn't go like you think maybe the leads you know you don't get as many leads as you think or you, mm-hmm. your conversion rate decreases and then you freak out and you think oh I must have to lower it again <laughs> oh gosh um I guess yeah what would your response to that be would you say that you know, with pricing, do you feel that you do need to give it time to take root a little and to, as you say, you know, test it? What does that look like for people? I think it comes down to knowing what kind of decision your customer is making, right? So mm. there's there's two main, there are two main buying decisions. There's a will I decision and a which one decision. Mm. What it really comes down to is a will I decision is usually when someone's deciding whether they're going to buy from you or not, okay? They're not aware of, or maybe there's no other competition. They're just deciding, Am, am I going to buy from this person or not? 
a which one decision is when there's competing alternatives available, right? So if you, um, popcorn is a really good example. If you go to the movies, like at the cinema, there's only one place to get popcorn there, right? And so yeah. it's a will I decision. That's why it's more expensive. You don't have a choice. Mm. So they can charge you, you know, $70 per bucket That's of popcorn. ridiculous. <laughs> I know. But we buy it, right? Because there's no yeah. competing alternative. So mm. Whereas you go to Woolworths, you know, to the supermarket, and there'll be like three or four options, of popcorn yeah. and so the prices are lower because we don't have as much choice we as a consumer have more power mm. and so you know if you're if you're thinking about raising your prices there's a few things i would do number one i would think about you know do you have competition number two are your customers aware of them uh if you have competition how can you differentiate yourself right the the best way to gain more pricing power if you're in a saturated market you know if you're a, a VA or a graphic designer which are very saturated markets um mm-hmm. then differentiating yourself is a really great way to get more pricing power and to turn a which one decision into a will I decision so going from being popcorn at Woolies to popcorn at the cinema yeah you know it gives you more pricing power and you you can charge more and people are maybe not happy to pay but at least willing to pay willing yeah yes. willing to pay yeah. exactly because if people weren't i mean if people weren't happy to pay it they just wouldn't buy it right? yeah and so you know differentiating yourself is a really a really good way of of doing that i'd say the other thing too you know if you change your prices and it doesn't go out it doesn't go down the way that you want it to it could be to do with how you communicated about it I have seen mm. some awful examples of pricing increases and then businesses trying to explain the price increase. Um, I remember my my mother-in-law brought home a note from her hairdresser this one time saying, you know, we've increased our prices, um, you know, basically don't complain about it. Our costs have gone up and, you know, we don't have a choice and blah, blah, blah. And it was just, it was very negative. Mm. It was almost a little bit hostile. Yeah, and it was very defensive. Yeah, very defensive. Mm. And it wasn't, mm. you know, as a customer, that's not a good customer experience. But if you... If you're raising your prices, what I would do is try to align it with something that is a win for your customers. So I would probably say something like, and and you can certainly tailor this to your industry and your market segments. I would say something like, uh, you know, given the growth that we've had this year or given the changes in our business, we want to make sure that we're providing more value to the people who need it. We want to be able to serve more people. And so, you know, to facilitate us being better for you, we've adjusted our prices, mm. you know, because you want to basically tie it to we're raising our prices so that you get more from us, you get more value. That's yeah. what, that's how I try to coach people to do it. And then we go through, we look at things like what are your customers' value drivers, right? What are your customers' KPIs for you? Okay, how does your customer know if you're providing great value or not? And then we find ways to communicate really clearly that those are the reasons that you've raise your prices because when you raise your prices you do have more money than to invest in courses or mm. education or better content yeah. and, you know yeah. you want to create more value for your customers mm. yeah that's really really true I think a, a trap a lot of people fall into when they get busier their business is growing in the sense they're getting more customers they think well I'm making more sales I don't need to raise my pricing because I'm getting more customers but as you say um you know, there's, there's no room to be able to invest into other things and to scale your business. And, mm. and yeah, I think people are afraid to, to raise their pricing for that reason. And they, and they think, well, I'm getting a few more clients. So that kind of pays, pays for that. But yeah, I don't know. I can't make it up in volume. I don't like yeah, that. I don't like yeah. that mindset. <laughs> I'll just price low 
and I'll work with a lot of people. If you're a service-based yes. business, you only have, not only do you only have so many hours in the day, you only have so much mental capacity, mm. right? And so the idea that you can make it up in volume, you're not a manufacturing factory, right? <laughs> like you're yeah. a human being, like you have limits. You have a lot more limits than a factory or a machine, okay? So you can't necessarily make things up in volume. It's not necessarily the best way to go. Mm. If you have... 10 clients priced at a low price, um, you're not going to have as much mental resources, emotional resources, actual resources to give to them as if you had like three to five, for example. Yes. Not only would you be providing them a better service and a better experience, but you would feel better in yourself as well. Mm. Yeah, and you can show up from a better place. Absolutely. Um, instead of burning yourself out and then trying to serve 70 clients at one time. <laughs> yep, yep, exactly, exactly, <laughs> which which does cause so many business closures because people feel, you know, they feel guilty or they feel scared or concerned that, oh, if I change my prices, I might not get any work. If I change my mm-hmm. prices, uh, you know, the leads will stop coming in. And that may just not be the case and it is worth looking into and it's worth mm-hmm. giving it a test and a try. Yeah, Oh, we've covered so much already. This is amazing. Yeah. <laughs> um, I know we're I know we're kind of coming up to coming up to time to finish, but I would love to ask: Can you share? I don't know one or two pricing tips for any newer business owners who might be listening. Um, maybe they've listened to this this podcast and they'd be like, oh, I'm not really at that place yet. You're talking yeah. about raising your pricing. I don't even know where to start. Uh, um, <laughs> can you kind of speak into that a little bit? Um, yeah. If someone's listening right now or you're grabbing coffee with someone right now and mm. they're just like, oh, I, I have this business true. idea and I just don't even know where to start. Mm-hmm. What would you, what would you say to them? So the thing that I would say to start is figure out, you know, figure out market segmentation, figure out who it is that you're serving. Okay. So this Mm. should be based on a problem that you're solving. If you don't know the problem you solve, you are going to find it very, very, very difficult to have a business. And and this is something that I say to people who have already started their business as well, is figure out what problem it is that you solve. And Mm. then, you know, the group of people who have that problem in common, that's your market segment. And that's a definition that comes from the Pragmatic Institute, which is a, uh, a marketing training company over in the US. The second thing I would say is once you have your market segment, so a group of people who all have this common problem that you can solve for them, find out you know what it is that they value, what is their willingness to pay. And you can do this by seeing what they pay for similar services. You can do this by surveys. You can do this by actually setting your prices um, you know, and laddering it up each time for each subsequent client and doing things like that to find out what their willingness to pay is. But at the end of the day, pricing is all about value. You need to know, you know, because that's that's what your customer is basing their pricing decision on is whether or not they perceive that the price is worth the value. So you need to find out what is it that they value? What are the future results that your your customers in your market segment want out of your product or service? Focus on that in how you talk about your product. So instead of saying, I sell this drill, it's really cool. Say, (laughs) I sell this drill, it makes really nice holes in your wall so you can hang up family pictures that you can look at for the next 10 years. And you know, you want to talk about the future outcomes. I know that that was a lot of tips. I know you asked for like one. <laughs> no, that's really helpful. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's great. Well, a question that I always ask as part of the podcast, mm-hmm. um, obviously we're all about authenticity, no business, no person is perfect. And mm-hmm. I would just love to know if there has been a time in your business or a time that stands out that you did decide to take imperfect action and, and how did this pay off for you and your business? 
Oh, gosh, there's quite a few to pick from (laughs) (laughs) because it it happens a lot. There have been a couple of workshops that I've done where initially I had had self-doubt and I had imposter syndrome and thinking, Mm -hmm. who am I to talk about this? Like, I'm not, you know. I'm not that amazing. Yeah. Uh, you know, you have those thoughts where you're like, who am I to talk about this? Do I know enough? Do I, you know, can I actually make an impact and help people? And, you know, there was there were some workshops that I really wanted to do and teach people about because I did have knowledge to share. Mm-hmm. Um, and even though I felt like there was probably a lot of knowledge missing that I just didn't know or didn't have, I still went ahead and I made the workshops and, you know, people – found them super valuable, got great engagement and great responses from them. And uh, it's a great example of a quote that I love from uh, another business coach and friend of mine, Georgina Bowden. She says, done is better than perfect, mm-hmm. right? So with these workshops, my goal and the thing that I really want to focus on is can I help them? You know, can mm-hmm. I add something that makes a difference? If yes, then it doesn't matter, you know, how I feel. Not that it doesn't matter how I feel, but that yes, kind of yes. gives, yeah, it sort of helps me to overcome those feelings of of self-doubt or feeling like I'm not good enough to do this. I don't know enough. Mm-hmm. I don't have a fancy studio set up. I don't have a fancy mm-hmm. wallpaper behind me because people still afterwards came and said, oh my gosh, that was so helpful. I learned so much. I made all these decisions in my business, da, 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 da. Mm-hmm. And so it was a really good decision to just go ahead. Yeah, no, I I love that quote, done is better than perfect. And it's so true. And I think sometimes that, you know, perfectionism can totally hold us back from stepping forward. And yeah, it's it's really about overcoming that so we can see growth in in ourselves and in our businesses. So no, I love that. Yay. Okay. Well, I have just a couple of rapid fire questions, which aren't super deep, but I love asking people this kind of thing. Okay. Um, <laughs> so do you have a favorite book and or a podcast that you would like to share with our listeners? Ooh. It can be business related. It can be non-business. <sighs> can I recommend two books? Yes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, the, the, the two, um, so there are two business books I've read this year that have really made a huge impact on, on me and my business. Um, And they are Predictably Irrational by Dan Ariely. So Dan Ariely is a behavioral economist. And in this book, he talks about how humans are not actually as rational as we like to believe. Mm -hmm. And there are a lot of insights and studies that he shares in this book that are so, so applicable to business. And, you know, if you sell to humans, you will want to read this book. Um, so and then the other book is alchemy by rory sutherland rory sutherland is the vice chair of ogilvy which is an advertising company in uh in the uk Mm -hmm. in this book um you know rory takes on a very similar approach he basically goes through business decisions and concepts and ideas that shouldn't make sense so he talks about things like costly signaling theory um and and things like that and talks about examples in business or even in charities and his work at this um at ogilvy where they've done things that seem like they shouldn't work or they shouldn't make sense Mm -hmm. but they do because Mm -hmm. humans are so humans are weird as creatures like we are really strange (laughs) (laughs) in terms of like how we respond to things and how we behave and so you know for for anyone who's really interested in understanding your how customers think how your customers look at your marketing how they interpret different types of marketing different types of pricing I highly 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 recommending reading that book and also predictably irrational um Mm. on 
one podcast. There's a few that I listen to and really enjoy. One is Impact Pricing by Mark Stiving, who is my mentor. And the other is The Soul of Enterprise by Ron Baker and Ed Kless, who are another couple of guys who I really admire and respect yeah. for their business expertise. Lots of economists uh, on that one. So that's also really fun if you're yeah. into economics at all. Um, and yeah, those would be my my top picks. Yeah, amazing. I'll pop those in the show notes for anyone who wants to check those out. Amazing. Okay, another question. What are you currently watching? Oh my what are you gosh. binging? Oh, the Crown. The yes. Crown. Yes. Ah, I know. Yeah, season four. Season four? Yeah, season the new one just came out. Oh uh-huh. my gosh. Oh my gosh. We, um, so well. we stopped watching at like when season three came out we just never got onto it like we finished season two and then we just I don't know forgot but we saw the ads for season four and we were like oh we need to catch up so we just started season three last night so cool okay (laughs) and my final question before we wrap up what are three things that are bringing you joy right now oh goodness um is coffee an answer (laughs) yeah (laughs) um I would probably say um so, so my my kids, uh, Nathan and Evie, Nathan's in school, he's in prep, so he's in his first yeah. year of school and Evie's in daycare. They've both been learning a lot lately and seeing the ways that they change and grow, um, that gives me a lot of joy and just seeing yeah. you know, how they grow as people. Um, you know, the, the, the time that I get to spend with my husband, Alex, is really, really nice. You know, he's my biggest support when it comes mm. to my business and, you know, things that I'm doing. And I would say my friends as well, honestly, I think yeah. especially with this year, you know, it has been very up and down. And so, and being an extrovert and a social person, um, being yeah. able to see my friends again, you know, coming out of lockdown and going to events, yeah. oh, that is really, really nice. So, yeah, it's all those things like, yeah, just even seeing like catching up with a friend at a coffee shop. I you know. know. We, it's so easy to take for granted. And then Absolutely. When suddenly that's not allowed. It, yeah, it's a little bit strange but no I love that mm. oh, so good okay well do you want to tell us a little bit about where people can find you where is the, be- the best place people can connect with you yeah so if anyone's in Brisbane um more than happy to catch up for a coffee very extroverted <laughs> as I said um, <laughs> um I'm always down for coffee and um you know, online, you can find me on Facebook and LinkedIn. I have a free Facebook group, The Pricing on the Cake, where I share resources and case studies and, and some insights in there. And people are welcome to post questions and help each other out. We've got almost 500 people in there now, which wow, is really, amazing. really cool. Um, and if anyone is, you know, interested in working with me or that, you know, send me an email at Courtney at CourtneyDegan.com. Um, and if you go to my website, CourtneyDegan.com, you'll see that you can book a, a private session on there with me if you want to have um, some work time together some one-on-one time and that's an hour consultation with me yeah beautiful and we'll link to all of those places in the show notes so you don't have to remember <laughs> uh, we'll make sure that's easy to find um but no your facebook group is amazing lots of really uh-huh. cool questions which are cool and your membership is very cool as well so much goodness there awesome thanks sarah amazing. well thank you so much for coming on the show it was amazing to interview you and oh, thank you for yeah. having me no i'm really excited for people to tune into this episode and excited to hear the the cool stories that come out of this <laughs> yeah absolutely you know if, if anyone does like you know if, if anyone listening does go away and implements any of these things mm-hmm. please let please let sarah know and so we can like revel in it because that's the yes. that's the best part honestly yes. of all of this is that you know mm-hmm. when people go and you know and i know you know this too sarah as a coach you know when people implement the advice you give them and mm-hmm. it makes a difference like oh, it's just the best feeling It really is. I think it's, yes, the most rewarding part. Mm. Okay. Well, thank you so much, Courtney. And again, we'll pop all those links in the show notes. Thank you so much for coming on the show. You're welcome. 
Hey, thank you so much for tuning in to today's episode. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe to the podcast so that you never miss future episodes. And while you're at it, if you'd like to leave a five-star rating on iTunes, I would be so grateful. This lets me know what kind of content you're loving so that I can keep creating valuable content for you in the future. It also helps this podcast to find its way to the ears of other creatives just like you. You can check out the show notes for links to everything that was mentioned in this episode or head to my website www.sarahluthie.com for more information and some cheeky freebies. Thanks again for being here, friend. I am so grateful for you and I'm cheering you on as you imperfectly pursue your purpose.